0: Gather around. We are continuing our series called God and Kings. And we're about to enter into a more complex era of the life of Israel. Uh, The time frame where we're at is is about 930 BC. Uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is now king. Last week, Robin talked about uh, some of the, the issues that came up with the transition of life under Solomon's rule to Rehoboam. The, nation, the tribes of the northern portion of the kingdom, there are ten tribes in the north, they sent a delegation to Rehoboam asking him to lighten the burden of the taxes that his father Solomon had placed upon them. Now, Rehoboam, not being very wise, uh, rejected their plea and, in fact, told them, no, I'm I'm not going to lighten the load. In fact, I'm going to increase it. I'm going to be even worse than my father. And so the ten northern tribes, after receiving that response, revolted. And it's at that point that Jeroboam different than Rehoboam, became king of the northern kingdoms or the northern tribes. There are ten northern tribes. And so I want to show you a map. kind of gives you a a look here. Now, you can imagine under Saul and under David and under Solomon, this was all one kingdom. This was all Israel. Now, at this point in the story the ten northern tribes are now referred to, if you read the rest of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, that portion is uh, referred to as Israel. This is where it gets a little confusing. The bottom portion, the southern kingdom, is comprised of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. That's referred to as the kingdom of Judah. So Jeroboam is now king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Rehoboam is the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, Jeroboam was not a descendant of Solomon. Jeroboam actually worked under Solomon for his administration. And during that time, Solomon saw Jeroboam as a threat, and he fled to Egypt. After Solomon died, Jeroboam returned. And in fact, God promised in 1 Kings 11, promised Jeroboam the northern kingdom of Israel. In chapter 11 of 1 Kings, God says to Jeroboam, I will take you and you shall reign over all that your soul desires and you shall be king over Israel. And and if you listen to all that I command you, if you obey my commands, I will give you this kingdom and you will prosper. So this was the promise that God gave to Jeroboam. And what we're going to do is read What happens next now that Jeroboam is stepping into this position of being king over the northern kingdom? Before we read the passage, though, uh, we're going to pray. Because I think we all know that when we enter into worship in even a time like this, when we hear God's word, that sometimes our hearts, our minds are just not at the right place. And so let's pray for the Spirit ...to work in the room this morning. Would you pray with me? God, source of all light, by your word you give light to the soul. Pour out upon us the spirit of wisdom and understanding that... ...being taught by you in holy scripture, our hearts and minds may be opened... ...to know the things that pertain to life and holiness... Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So we're going to read a portion here of First Kings in chapter 12. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as a sign of respect. We're going to start at verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he sent one to Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah, And he offered sacrifices on the idol. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day in the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings." This is God's Word. You may be seated. I want to start with this slide. You can change. Now, I wonder how you respond to that. You can change. Now, for some of you, you hear that and you think, well, of course. I'm... A person with my free will that I can change, I can choose to live differently than I than I am now. Of course, you're optimistic, you can change. You believe that's true. Others of you, maybe from your own life experiences, believe differently, especially as you're elbowing your spouse. (laughs) Because you wonder, is it, it I mean, of course it's not impossible. People can change, but, but in your experience, is that true? Do you change? Have you changed? In what ways? Some of you have experienced anxiety your whole life. You've tried lots of different things, and yet you still get panic attacks. Uh, some of you yell at your family, at your friends. Your anger is explosive. And you've tried to change. You know you can't continue to live this way. And yet, you find yourself living in a way that's very destructive to your relationships and the people that you love very much. It could be that you've always known as a Christian, I'm supposed to pray. They say a good Christian prays. I've, I've, I've tried to get myself to pray and yet I can't do it. You probably have a list of maybe things that you know and wish that were different about you. And yet, you sit here today and none of those things are different. And so, maybe sh- in the short term, yeah, you can change. But for the, over the long haul, in your experience, you know, it's very tough. It's very tough to change. Now, I don't, I don't think it's only in our life experiences that we see that it's hard. It's hard. I think the Bible shows us it's hard. We see in the story of Jeroboam that it's hard to change. Jeroboam, uh, as, as I told you before we read the passage, is establishing a new kingdom. And we see in the story here that he does this in two ways. He sets up and builds and fortifies uh, his cities like Shechem and Peniel. He wants to set his kingdom up to be ready for attack, to be secure. But he also, not only in uh, building these cities, he also establishes places of worship in the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. Now he does that, uh, we find out later in the story, for a particular reason. uh, But I want you to notice uh, what he does here in verse 28. When Jeroboam establishes Bethel and Dan as the two places of worship, he builds two golden calves and places them in these cities. And he tells the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you're paying attention and if you are familiar with the Old Testament, this should sound familiar. Anybody recognize it? The Exodus, right? Did it bring your mind to the Exodus? Did it remind you of another time in Israel's story? If we go back to Exodus 32, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're in the wilderness. Moses has gone up the mountain to talk with God. The people are anxious and afraid. And they go to Aaron and they say, We've got to do something. And what does Aaron do? He gathers gold from all the people. He fashions a golden calf. And he says to them, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Here we see God's people repeating the same sins as their forefathers. Repeating the same dynamic that's taking place in Jeroboam's heart, it happened almost 500 years earlier with Aaron and God's people in the wilderness. Now, why did the Israelites create this golden calf in the wilderness? Because they were afraid, because they were anxious, because they were worried. And instead of trusting God, instead of taking God at His word... They believed they needed to take matters into their own hands and construct this golden calf that would, would give them a sense of security, uh, give them a sense of control in their relationship with Yahweh. And why did Jeroboam build his golden calves? Well, we're told in our story in verses 26 and 27 that Jeroboam knew that if the... if the Israelites of the northern kingdom continued to take their pilgrimage, their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem where the temple was, if they went there to worship, they might turn back to Rehoboam and acknowledge him as their true king. And so he was afraid. He was afraid of what would happen. He was afraid he would lose his kingdom. And so he took matters into his own hands. Now remember, God had promised Jeroboam. God had said, listen, if you obey me, if you follow what I say, I will bless you and your kingdom will be secure. And yet Jeroboam could not trust God's word. So he took matters into his own hands. He was scared. He was frightened. He was afraid to lose his power. And we see this sin pattern continue Throughout the story of the kings. If you were to continue reading in 1st and 2nd Kings. Time and time again. We see it happen in 1st Kings 16. With Basha. We see that Basha. uh, The Lord says here. Since I exalted you out of the dust. And made you leader over my people Israel. You have walked in the way of Jeroboam. And have made my my people Israel to sin. There. The Lord refers back to Jeroboam and says, Jeroboam has this, this established this pattern of sin. And now his descendants, the following kings, are continuing in this pattern. In 1 Kings 16 with Omri. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all that, who were before him. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Then we could go to 1 Kings 22. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Then we could go to 2 Kings, in chapter 10. Jehu was not careful to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn from the sins of Jeroboam, which he made Israel to sin. Are you seeing the pattern? Are you seeing... That change, indeed, is not easy. That we fall into the same old, same old patterns of sin. As one, I'm sure many writers have said, the only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. (laughs) We see it throughout the story of the kings. These patterns uh, that eventually lead to their destruction. It's, it's interesting. Jeroboam did this because he was fearful of losing his kingdom. And, and that fear was the very thing that drove him to lose his kingdom. Because around 200 years later, the descendants of Jeroboam were eventually overrun by the Assyrians. And the northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. The Assyrians came in... Uh, Exiled people brought in uh, new folks. And that's where you have the Sumerian um, people begin to develop. These mixed races begin to happen. And so Jeroboam's attempt to save the very thing that was so precious to him, because it was the ultimate thing, it eventually destroyed him. And here's the lesson for us. Here's the lesson for us. We are continuing today this same pattern. It is hard to change. It is very hard to change. Golden calves? No. (laughs) We're not constructing golden calves. But the golden calves were not the real issue. I don't want you to make the mistake of looking at the sin and seeing it in a superficial way and believing That that's what did Jeroboam in. It was the deeper heart issue of trusting God and taking him at his word. And that is the same struggle that you and I have today. You know, this idea of of our desires and our longings being the things that lead to us losing the very thing we want. You know, I think about a mother who so wants the love of her son, for example... And is so concerned for her son. And so wants her son to be either successful or, or, or to go into the right college or whatever it might be. That mother can be so controlling because she believes she's doing what's best for her son. That love and that desire could be the very thing that pushes her son away. And she could lose that relationship because she loves it so much. You see, we see the very same thing with Jeroboam. We see the very same thing with the ways that we that we act today. Jeroboam's sin was a reflection of the battle for his heart, and I showed you this diagram a few weeks ago. But but we see the dynamic here. You know, uh, Jeroboam knew in his in his head he knew in his head what God's promise was for him, but his heart his heart affections, he was so fearful, he was so fearful of losing his kingdom. And that desire for his kingdom, that desire for power and security was more important to him than his desire to trust God. And it led him to do something that was very destructive, not only to himself, but to the people that he was ruling over. And so when we think about lasting change, if you are a person here today that you really do want to change, because as a Christian, all of us should believe in change. Because the Bible tells us that God, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you become a follower of Christ. And what that means is to be a follower means to become like him. And so if you are not changing, that's a real problem. If you're not becoming like Jesus, then that should cause you to question, wait a minute, am I taking my faith seriously? Is my relationship with Christ really as important as what I say? If you're not becoming more like him. But we can get so wrapped up in the, the, the actions and, how, and the behavior of how we live that we forget that at its core the Christian life really is about your heart. The first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. That involves action, but it flows out of a heart that really does love and really does want to please God. If you think about pornography, I mean, pornography is a growing problem. It's a huge issue for all of us, not just men, but also for women. And and the Christian response can often be, Pornography is bad don 't do it right A focus on the behavior, your hands you know what are you doing, how are you living that type of thing and the problem comes in that if you don 't address the heart, you know what is it that 's driving you to that what 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 are you longing for? What is the desire at the root cause that 's causing you? To do the things that you're doing. You see, as Christians, we've got to start asking that heart question. We've got to dig a little deeper than just don't do it. Because just don't do it won't last. You've got to be able to go to the person and say, Well, listen, you are longing for something deeper. That you're not finding In in your real life relationships, whether it's your spouse or your friends, uh, what is it that you're really longing for, that intimacy that you really want? Tim Keller puts it this way, and he talks about the idols that we struggle with. He says, why do we lie or fail to love or break our promises or live selfishly? Of course, the general answer is because we are weak and sinful. But the specific answer is that there is something besides Jesus Christ that we feel we must have to be happy. Something that is more important to our heart than God. Something that is enslaving our heart through inordinate desires. The key to change, the key to change, and even to self-understanding is therefore to identify the idols of the heart. You see, this, we're talking about it's more than just a New Year's resolution. New Year's resolutions are often just about behavioral change. It's like I'm going to start getting up early in the morning or I'm going to quit drinking alcohol or I'm going to start doing this. And, and that's really behavioral. It's focused on your behavior. What we're talking about is for you to change. It's asking the deeper question, what are the things that I love and the desires that I have that drive my actions and how I live? It's getting all of us to begin asking the deeper questions that really, truly drive us. Because desire is at the helm of your life, it's at the steering wheel of your life. It really does direct you in the direction of the, how you live your life, and it determines your behavior. You think of, of someone who maybe is an alcoholic, you know, an alcoholic really wants to drink. That is a strong desire. And that desire to drink causes them to do things that are destructive to to their relationships and their lives. Now, a recovering alcoholic often still wants to drink, they still have a very strong desire to drink, but there's a greater desire. Maybe it's because they know if they continue to drink, they're going to lose their spouse. Maybe they know if they continue to drink, they're going to lose their job. Maybe they know if they continue to drink, it's going to kill them. And that desire, that desire becomes greater than the desire to drink. And therefore, they make a different choice. And change follows the greater, deeper desire that's steering their life. And so when we as Christians think about change, what we're talking about is not just behavior. What I'm talking about is for you to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and your desire to please and love Him becomes the ultimate desire that drives you. So that when you make choices in how you live your life, that desire is at the steering wheel and that begins to make the choices for you. That's what we're talking about. And maybe this is why change is so hard, because none of us are born with that desire, because our hearts are broken, our hearts are selfish, our hearts want what they want, and oftentimes it's not what God wants. But here's the good news of the gospel, isn't it? This is what God told his people in, his, in the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. This is the wonderful good news for those of you who want to change today. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What a wonderful, wonderful announcement in truth That we're told here in Scripture that God actually gives us a new heart. So when you think about change, when you have a desire to change, when you have a desire to please God, it is a gift from Him. It is a gift He has given you. And that's something to celebrate. We're not talking about just behavioral change. We're talking about a new heart. God conforming us into the image of Jesus. God giving us these new desires So that when we battle, whether it's anger, or anxiety, or pornography, or lying, or whatever it might be, God promises that His Spirit lives within you and is giving you the new desire to please and serve and love Him first. Now, the reality is that is the battle of the Christian life because those old desires are still there. Those old desires are, still, it's almost like the way I've heard it described it's like, you know, guerrilla warfare. They are like snipers in the woods and they're still there. They're dangerous and they can pick you off and they can cause you to do stupid things. And that's why we have to be diligent and persevere. And that's why we need community. We need people around us to help us. And that's the mission of our church. That's why we have a church community. We have, that's why you come on Sunday morning and listen to me ramble on. <laughs> that's why you go to a community group. That's why you're in relationship with other Christians who can ask you those hard questions and say, Hey, how's your heart? Are you loving Jesus today? Is your desire to love and serve Him greater than your past struggle with fill in the blank? How are you doing with that? Can I pray for you? And you have people in your life who can walk with you in that. Now, I, I think about that, that statement, you can change. And, and I want to be honest with you right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up a little bit. I struggle with cynicism. And, and I can be... Um, Robin and I make a good pair because Robin is such an optimist. If you've been with Robin, everything he goes to, it's like the best. <laughs> if, you, if you have a new restaurant and you want, you know, somebody to build it up, Robin's your guy. Um, but, but I can be a pessimist sometimes. And, and when I read that, you can change. I, I have to be honest. I, I look at my own life and I think, ah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I believe I've changed, but there are things in my life for example, in my marriage over the past 19 years that I can't seem to to fix. There are things that my wife is frustrated about me. We've been seeing a, um, a therapist together for the past couple months, and, you know, she's very honest. She's like, listen, I, I've heard this before, but it, it's not different. And, you know... I, I sit on the couch, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm, I, I want to change, but I'm not changing. And, and, you know, it's as simple as something like me leading my family, um, me initiating. Because one of the things that I really struggle with is hiding. I want to hide. I, I want to hide. I don't want the responsibility um, so I, so I may not initiate a conversation with my wife that's important that we have to make a decision on. I'd rather just check out. I'd rather just, you know, watch a show, uh, go to sleep, not deal. You know, and here my wife is, is like, we need to make a decision on this. Why, why are you not stepping up to the plate? Or even in church, even leading the church, there are times, you should know, there are times when I want to hide. I, I don't want to leave my office. I I don't want to have to deal with the responsibilities. And so these are things that I've shared before, and these are things I've seen in my life for the past 10 years of pastoring this church, the past 19 years of of uh, being a, a husband. and And maybe there's incremental change, but overall I'm thinking... I don't know. I don't know if this can change. I see the same patterns of sin in my life. And I think, Jesus, are you real? Jesus, can you really fix this? Can you really enter into this circumstance and make a difference in my life? And and I wrestle with this. And, you know, what was so helpful with this story for me this week as i read i read this little portion from jerry bridges and he made this statement he said we're more concerned about our own victory over sin than we are about the fact that our sins grieve the heart of god and i realized this has been me for a long time feeling sorry for myself feeling beaten feeling defeated and, and not able to deal with my hurt pride because I feel like I can't fix myself. And it was a very freeing quote <laughs> because what it reminded me of is the gospel is not about me fixing myself. The gospel truly is about what Jesus has done for me and that god's love for me is not dependent upon me figuring this out and in and, and coming out of hiding. Jesus wants that. Jesus god is calling me to that. But I think what I have to deal with, this is where repentance and faith comes into play for all of us when you when you're confronted with your sin, you know, what does repentance look like? Look look like it looks like Saying, Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to be my own self-savior here. I'm trying to save myself. I'm relying on my own abilities here. And I need to fall on my knees before you and just give up and and plead, please, Jesus, change me. And that's where the hard work of change really begins to happen. It's when you give up and really lean into him. This is why Jesus talked about abiding in him. You know, so often I think we want to change so that we won't need Jesus anymore. And the reality is that Jesus wants us to abide in Him for our entire life. And as you abide in Him, you see your mess and your sin even more. And you need to lean in Him even more. And it's not about fixing yourself up and becoming the self-sufficient Christian. And maybe that's why change has been so hard for me. Maybe that's why change is so hard for you. It's because being humbled is the place that God wants us. And it's the place He wants you, for you to truly change, and for you to really understand what Jesus has done for you. The good news is that Jesus lives in you. If you're a follower of Him, He lives in you, and there's power in that. There's power in that. There's power to change you. There's power to change me. But he changes us as we grow and lean into him, not away from him. And that's the lesson that I really am learning and continuing to learn this week. And I pray that this morning it's a lesson that maybe, for the first time, you're hearing. And so what I want to do in this time um, is just have an opportunity for some prayer. I'm going to lead us in a time of, of, of silent prayer where I'm going to ask you a few questions or set it up and invite you into a time of interacting with God and maybe asking Him for the first time to show you some things. And so as we enter into this time of prayer, I I really want you, first of all, to spend a few moments silently to yourself asking God, where do I need to change? God, show me if there are things in my life that I need to change. And would you spend a few moments just listening? Do you believe the Holy Spirit speaks? If we do, why don't you just spend a few moments listening? If God is speaking to you this morning, if He is showing you maybe just one thing that you feel like He wants to change in your life, would you ask Him to just reveal maybe a little deeper your heart? Would you ask Him to examine your heart and ask Him to speak to you? In relation to that. And if you really want to see change take place in your life, just take a moment and ask God through His Spirit to work in your life. Ask for His power. Ask him to meet you right now. Father God, I want to begin by thanking you for the good news of the gospel. That we can interact with this whole topic of change without fear, without fear of rejection. Without fear of, of disappointing you. Because we are your children. And you are our loving father. And just as we earthly fathers and mothers want to see our children grow. And become and uh, the full potential of who they have been made to be. We know that that is what you want and long for in us. For us to become the full potential. Made in the image created and formed into the image of Jesus to be Jesus here in Long Beach in the surrounding area. Lord, we enter into this place at different places, at different stages. I know some people here this morning are, are wrestling with some debilitating struggles. They have things going on in their life right now, addictions, destructive relationships, uh, any number of, of things that are almost overwhelming and maybe makes it difficult for them to even be here and to function. And so I pray for your power in their lives. I pray for you, Holy Spirit, to work and for you to show yourself real to them, that they would... See their brokenness and see that you welcome them in that brokenness. And it's through that brokenness that they can find true strength. Jesus, for others, it might be uh, simpler things. It might be little things that they really want to change in their lives. And they've they've been struggling uh, to do that. And I pray for you to meet them as well. Lord, for anyone here who feels alone. Father, would you open their eyes to see that they're not, that they are in a room full of people who all are are stumbling along and trying to figure it out. So give us that spirit of camaraderie in our brokenness, Lord. And yet, a real passion and desire to be formed into your image, Jesus, to really change. Uh, a passion and desire to become the people you you long for us to be a determination that, Lord, we will not be satisfied with the ways that we've been living our lives. We, I, that I, Lord, would not be satisfied with hiding. That I know, Lord, that it's not what you want for me. That is not what you want for my family, Lord. That is not what you want for this church. For me to be a person that wants to hide. So, Lord, lead me out of that. Be gracious to me. Be gracious to all of us. Break us and build us back up for your glory. Amen.